You're listening to Lost or Found with Dr. Michelle Choi, the podcast where we think about what can be possible in our lives. The contents of this podcast and website are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition and before undertaking any diet, dietary supplement, exercise, or other health program. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michelle Choi. Sometimes I wonder if I've become an Asian parent's nightmare in this phase in my life. I had a job and then I didn't want to do it anymore. I make much less money. I'm opening my mouth and speaking. I'm saying the word no. I think filial piety is like indentured servitude if there's abuse involved. And in the end, you can decide to not take that crap. In modern day culture, we talk about how it's possible to do it all, especially for a woman. And having stopped, I've come to realize that the possibility of doing it all is a lie. It's not possible to do it all. There's a cost when you have too many things in a limited amount of time. Our world has gotten more efficient, and basically it means jamming more things to do in a given amount of time. I thought I was doing it all, and in fact, I was drowning. I was just making it to the next day, and this happened every day. And ultimately, I wonder if this is a huge factor affecting our health. Doing too much, always being busy, being stressed, and rushing. And then to recuperate from all the rushing, we choose distraction to momentarily get away from our current situation. It's like our minds are getting further away from our bodies, then solidly in it to function as a unit. Balance in our lives contributes to our health. Imbalance contributes to our sickness and breaking down. In this phase in my life, I don't feel as rushed as I did before. I have more time. I'm not euphorically happy. I'm not unhappy either. But it's a phase where I'm making sense of my life and thinking about how I would like for it to go. I'm giving myself time to work on it. I'm getting to know my truth and dealing with it. But because I'm home more, I manage the household and I find those duties overwhelming. My kids have uniforms and I don't understand how they still create so much laundry and how this problem never goes away. No one cares if you've wiped juice off the floor because essentially they're okay with the juice on the floor. Or if they miss their mouth by a lot when eating. Or if there's underwear again in the underwear drawer. Anyway... Choosing to think about why I was so unhappy comes with other realities. However, being at home more and working from home, I never realized how much I've missed out on time with my family. I thought I was doing it all. When I worked in the hospital, every other weekend I was away from home, the whole weekend. In order for me to have Christmas off, I would have to work through Thanksgiving and New Year's. I was commuting back then, and my drive to work would be about 90 minutes one way. As a primary care doctor, I got rid of my commute, but I had so much clerical work and charting and patient emails to follow up on, I worked till the doors of the office closed at 7.30 p.m. so that I didn't have to work at home. On my day off, I would just do chores, 
buy food for the household, go to multiple supermarkets, try to catch up with laundry. I was a woman with a career, and because of that, I was also never home. I had never really picked up my children from school either. That's been the most shocking thing for me, having cut back. I didn't think it was such a big deal until my children noted the regular things I was doing with them. Conversations that we had time to have, or driving them to their practices, watching their practices. Now my daughter cries when I leave home to do my overnight shift. Before, they were just thankful I came home before they went to bed. I know that all of us have our situations, and perhaps due to our own circumstances, we feel that it needs to be a certain way in order to survive. But I know balance contributes to our health. It's something to think about. If you feel depleted and drained, maybe you really are depleted and drained. Sometimes we can't change our situations immediately, but in order to even begin to think about it, we should consider repleting our energy tank. It can be as simple as what brings you joy in your life, what makes you feel like you're living, or perhaps it starts with just sleeping. I believe our energy tanks need to replete more often than not so that we can continue to think properly and make the right decisions for ourselves or have enough fluidity to see the messages in our lives and from our bodies. On today's show, my friend Oriana Gleesman will be speaking to us about her current situation as she and her husband separated over a year ago and is in the process of divorce. She is so thoughtful, honest, and reflective with her situation, I was greatly moved as I thought about the divorce in my life. My parents divorced when I was in college. While 50% of all marriages in the U.S. end in divorce or separation, as a Korean American back then, I didn't know any other Koreans whose parents were divorced. My parents told us that they were staying together because of us, the kids. I wonder if things got really bad the last 10 years of their marriage, the period of time where they stayed together for us. They had married a month after a matchmaker hooked them up, and well, they were matched very badly. On our first and perhaps only U.S. vacation, I believe I must have been 12 years old, my parents fought constantly at Disney World, the happiest place on earth. My memory of Disney World is of them fighting. They were even fighting on the monorail, which was considered really impressive back in the day. Maybe it didn't help that my mother's ego was easily slighted, but ultimately, it takes two people to fight. They were a tumultuous pair. When the fights were really bad, they were violent. I remember one time during one of their fights, my brother and I, we must have been teenagers, and they had been sleeping separately. Their fight had been violent, and my father had smashed my mother's wedding photo, a picture of her reflection in the mirror in her Korean wedding attire. And I remember seeing the cracked glass of the photo frame, and just knowing that it was the beginning of the end. Neither my brother nor I screamed at them. We just watched them. I don't think we were really capable of saying anything. I remember as a kid praying for them, praying for a possibility, praying for hope, praying for continued peace, praying that maybe we could be a family like on TV. My parents were both living lives where they were really unhappy. 
My father had once told me when I was in high school that he had been driving from his office home and he briefly thought of smashing his car into a wall or a tree. Maybe my parents were doing their best for us with what they were capable of doing. My father was always working. My mother became like a hermit. My mother showed her love for us by having food on the table, by feeding us. But I think with how unhappy they were as individuals, as partners, it impacted their ability as parents. They weren't really there for us. I couldn't even tell my mother I needed menstrual pads or a bra. I came to hate Christmas. We rarely had a tree up, no Christmas lights. We didn't exchange gifts. It was the most depressing time of the year for me. There was always a relief for me when it was over. Seeing my husband's family actually celebrate Christmas, even though that was something I really wanted, took years for me to accept and embrace because I was so scarred by how it felt growing up. I think of my family as there are moments in my current life where it occurs to me how different my childhood had been. My daughter Rose has playdates. I invite her friends over to our house. I'm not mean to her prior to her friend's arrival. We don't stress them out on grades. We as parents want to attend our children's functions. My husband participates on William's teams. I try to go to all the games. We buy flowers for Rosie's performances. Our children can talk to us. Rose doesn't have to be my friend. She can just be my daughter. They feel safe and secure. I talk with my kids' friends' parents. Basically, I wonder if being a good parent just means being present. Maybe all you have to do is just show up. And well, I get PTSD when I hear the idea of staying together for the kids. In my opinion, that's absolutely the worst thing you can do. There's probably more life lessons in trying to live than shutting yourself down. On today's show, I welcome Oriana Gleesman to the show. She currently works at UCSC and grew up in the San Francisco, Berkeley area. She has two amazing children, ages 9 and 6, and I met her when our boys were in preschool together at age 2. She loves to hang out with her children outside, read, work out, and wander through museums, and dreams of traveling again someday. She also recently ran her first race, running seven miles in the Santa Cruz virtual Wharf to Wharf. Welcome to Lost or Found, Oriana, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) And friend, uh, can you tell us about yourself? Yeah, so I was kind of thinking about this. I was born in San Francisco in the early 80s. So, um, So much of my identity is based kind of on my upbringing, and so much of that was being the child of artists growing up in San Francisco at the height of, you know, like the AIDS crisis and mm-hmm. the start of all of, all of, you know, kind of, kind of that. That's pretty cool. That's interesting. And how long have you lived in Santa Cruz? So um, I've lived in Santa Cruz since 2006. So I've been here about 15 years now. That's wonderful. And did you go to school at UCSC? No. So actually I, my best friend 
grew up five houses down the street from me. We've been best friends since we were four. <laughs> she went to UCSC and she stayed here after she graduated. And so I followed her down here. I said, oh, Amanda likes Santa Cruz. Like, I'll try it out and see see if I like it. And it's it's stuck. I'm stuck. <laughs> it's in your blood now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I know this has been like a very full year for you. Yeah. Would you mind sharing your story? Yeah. So um, it's been a little bit over a year. I separated from my husband with whom I have two kids. Um, and we're still... It's it's been a really interesting process because we're still really amicable, though I kind of hate that word because I feel like everyone uses that word. Or, you know, like if you think of Gwyneth Paltrow and whatever her ex, Chris, and they're like conscious uncoupling or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been consciously uncoupling for the past year and a half. Um, but ultimately, I... I'm really thankful for my partner, thankful for my ex and the life that we tried to build together. And so kind of trying to um, honor that in our separation and in our, you know, moving towards divorce. And I really do admire how you guys really do get along, you know, I mean, or, we or try. you try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, we think. definitely have our moments. And I think that's like really beautiful for the kids to see, even though it's a hard time for them too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think usually in divorce, I hate to say usually, I guess I just really see that, you know, neither one of us is blameless in the divorce and I really own my part and mm -hmm. he's he really owns his part. And because we still have a lot of uh, love for the other person, if, if we're not in love, that we can kind of move forward that way. Yeah. I think that's something that surprises me about divorce sometimes. And my parents are divorced, you know. Like, most people marry out of love. I realize there's things that contribute to divorce, but there is a point in time when love did exist. Yeah. And it's like more reason, I think, to try to at least end it nicely if it doesn't work out, you know? Right. Like it doesn't have to be 100% hatred. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you understand this. Like I am a child of divorce. My ex is a child of divorce. And I think when you, or at least for me, when I came from that, being a child of divorce, I really didn't want to recreate that yeah. for my children. And yet, despite our kind of best efforts, I have. So how do I move forward um, with this process, even though it didn't work out exactly how I wanted it to? Yeah. You know, kind of learning from that and trying to grow from that, as opposed to letting it like drag me down. May I ask you what contributed to your divorce? So my parents are divorced. Um, and I tried to kind of learn from their mistakes. And so when I was looking for a partner, I was looking for someone who was really stable, really dependable, because um, I didn't have, I didn't feel like I had a lot of stability growing up. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had some stability, but maybe not as much as I would have liked as a child. So when I looked for a partner, that's that was my number one priority was stability. Well, he he's still stable. <laughs> How did you define stability then? <laughs> stability, like what is, you know, it's so interesting because all of these um, characteristics then have a flip side, I feel like. Mm -hmm. So stability, like, uh, you know, ability to kind of count on someone, but then that also goes to stubbornness, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Steadfastness, st also stubbornness, 
ability to hold a grudge as well, you know? (laughs) Very stable. (laughs) Very stable, right? These things that are continuous then also have kind of a positive and a negative side to them. I think of kind of like toxic positivity. Like it's good to be positive, but not to be toxically positive to a fault where then you can't see the range. Exactly. Same thing with stability. Like it's really nice to have stability, but not if that's, you know, not if it doesn't work in a relationship Mm -hmm. or then it's, you know, the person's really stuck along their path without much flexibility. That's interesting that you say that, like stability, you one would think always positive, but sometimes you could get stuck in this one way. Yeah. Instead of like almost like growing. Right. And I think so much of growing up is learning who I am as a person and maybe taking, you know, and and constantly evolving, you know, Mm -hmm. growing is constantly evolving. So I met him when I was 24. (laughs) Now at 39, am I the same person? No. Is he maybe more of the same person? Maybe yes. Mm -hmm. So we kind of, you know, our paths kind of at a certain point started to diverge and I wanted kind of more, um, which wasn't really fair of me to ask because he ultimately is the same person that I married and I can't, this is the metaphor I have in my head, but maybe it sounds mean. You can't marry a caterpillar and then expect them to turn into a butterfly. Maybe they're going to stay a caterpillar. That's true. Maybe they're perfectly happy as a caterpillar. And just because I want to be a butterfly doesn't mean he has to too, right? I think that's so beautiful. You know, I think that's so true too. (laughs) Like you can't really... I think the truth is you can't force anyone to change or grow. It's their decision, but we choose what we want for ourselves. And sometimes there comes a point where we decide if it's going together or like our worlds are diverging. Right. Yeah. With that thought in mind, you know, he, it's the idea of, you know, no one is blameless in the relationship and no one is, you know, it's, it's of no fault of, of either one of us. Mm-hmm. We just... I continue to change as a person and want different things. And sometimes that can't all happen in a relationship. You you know, you yeah. think of like Esther Perel. Esther Perel has this whole theory about how you can't get everything from your partner. Mm-hmm. So you can't expect your partner to be stable and loyal, but then also exciting and, you know, makes your heart pound or whatever. She She's much more articulate about it. Mm-hmm. But then she also has this, so it kind of goes goes broader. So like if, if I like to run, but he doesn't like to run, well, then I have a friend that I go run with. If I like to see Shakespeare and he doesn't like to see Shakespeare, then I have a friend that I see Shakespeare with. If I like to, you know, read, but he doesn't like to read, then I have a friend that I read books with. And it just came to a point where I was getting all of my needs met by other people, mm-hmm. even, you know, girlfriends. And I I felt like the relationship wasn't feeding me anymore did your relationship change when you had children because i feel like sometimes that's a big like tester you know like things really are tested when when one has children (laughs) i think so too and i think you know it's so interesting if i like reflect back on my childhood and how i think about i was well trained to take care of other people Mm -hmm. and put other people before myself um and so in a relationship, that was never a problem. Like, of course, I'm going to take care of my husband. Of course, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure all of his needs are met. And then you have kids 
and it's like N plus one. So, so then you have the husband that you're taking care of and you're taking care of the child. And then like, you, you don't have to take care of yourself for a certain number of years, but then eventually, um, I think I started to want someone to take care of me. Yeah. And I, there was no one to take care of me. Even I couldn't take care of myself. So that's another thing that's not, that wasn't, you know, we go into relationships with so much of our own personality, our own history, our own baggage. Yeah. And p- part of that, you know, wasn't sustainable. Sometimes I wonder if that's like the common plight or problem, common problem for like the woman, you know. Once you have a family, sometimes there's such overwhelming demands that sometimes there seems like a greater burden for the female or the, for the woman or the mother in the relationship, you know to take care of everyone when our needs are met the last. And I think, and that's no fault of my ex. You know, mm-hmm. I never asked him. We do meet. it. I did it automatically. Yeah. So like I was well-trained, you know, to take care of everyone else. And I kind of wonder about that with my children. I want to train them to take care of themselves, you know, and not necessarily put everyone in before mm-hmm. them when did you realize that maybe you, you were I mean I feel like a lot of women function from deficit but when did you realize that maybe things weren't going as well as you hoped it's so funny because I look back on photos on family photos because I take a lot of photos and I make photo albums of the kids and stuff and I'm like oh yeah I was really unhappy there mm-hmm. how long ago <laughs> a long time ago Mm-hmm. I tried for a really long time to make it work um, because I because I am a child of divorce. I really didn't want to yeah. subject my own children to that same thing. Um, but then there also comes a point where we're so unhappy mm-hmm. together. Is this healthy for the kids to see that this is what a relationship is? Two people miserable together? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or would it be healthier for them to see two people happy apart yeah, as opposed to miserable together. Do you think he was unhappy in their relationship too? I really felt, I felt like he was unhappy. I think in hindsight, you know, this past year, I've been doing a ton of work on myself and he has done a ton of work on himself and the amount of growth and change that he's gone through in the past year, I'm really proud of him. It's been a really kind of painful journey for him as well mm-hmm. having to having to face all this all this stuff from his own past that then in, impacted our relationship but um he really has been facing it and trying to work through everything so i think unfortunately <laughs> our next relationships will be way more successful <laughs> or fortunately right yeah yeah i get yeah fortunately yeah. i guess just kind of unfortunate it feels for unfortunate us. but maybe it- and for you know, it's really fortunate, like right, yeah. that you allow yourself to blossom and grow, even if it feels really, really painful. Yeah, I think you know, if we go back to that kind of caterpillar metaphor, mm-hmm. this past year has forced us both to kind of cocoon, right? Maybe as a society in general, everyone's been cocooning a little bit. Yeah, and then hopefully we'll come out of it stronger and he definitely has done a ton of work and I think he'll come out of it changed 
Do you feel like you're a butterfly yet? I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm working working towards that. Mm-hmm. Maybe if that's the ultimate goal, maybe that's something we don't reach until we're 80 or something, <laughs> you know? It's something we like keep working on. There's always, you know. What I'm, stage do you think you're at right now? What stage do I think I'm at? Yeah, maybe I'm still cocooning, you know, still mm-hmm. kind of working on myself and trying to figure everything out and really focusing on what's good for my kids still. Yeah. And still trying to figure out what I want. I, you know, I for so long had no wants or needs. It's hard for me to figure things out. Like, um, what do you want to have for lunch? I, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. What what do I want? Because so for so long it was what do the kids want for lunch? What's best for the kids? Mm-hmm. What does my husband want for lunch? What's best for my husband? Like I I never even considered that's, you know, that's kind of a small example. But that's so interesting. Like, what do you want for lunch, Oriana, you know? I have no idea. <laughs> right? Like, what do I even like? Or you never asked, yeah. you know, or we never asked. Yeah. How do you see yourself, like, right now at this moment compared to how you were in the marriage? Like, how do you feel now as compared to then? It's so funny because I feel a little guilty saying this, but I'm so much happier. I mean, it's like a huge, through no fault of his own, I was carrying him as a burden because that's how I was trained to, you know, that's how I was raised. That's how I was taught to, you know, take care of the person that you're with. And the load got too heavy and I was crushed under the weight of taking care of everything. And being separated, even being alone, my load is so much lighter Interesting. That feels awful to say, right? I mean, it is your truth. Yeah. It kind of sounds like the imagery that I had in my head was like, you're you're backpacking. And I feel like we're always backpacking in life, but how heavy are you going to make your load? Right. And if you're carrying another person, sometimes it's like barely like walkable. Yeah. You're you're crawling. (laughs) And maybe the other person didn't even ask to be carried. Yeah. That's interesting. Like I volunteered. I chose to carry this load like this. And that's kind of what I mean about, you know, the relationship wasn't necessarily his fault or my fault that, that we were kind of trained Mm -hmm. and kind of socialized to do this a certain way and never questioned it until I was crushed under the weight of the backpack and couldn't move anymore. And meanwhile, he might have been offering to take things out of the backpack and carry himself. Yeah. But I wasn't capable either. Yeah, it's it's just so interesting how, you know, I think especially if we get married in our in our 20s, I, I think it's interesting how things are kind of changing. You know, I I got married at 27 and felt like that was exactly right. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh, I was a baby. Like 27, yeah. that's so young. I have friends who are 37 and not married. Um, you know, I really wanted to have a kid before I was 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, my mom had me when she was 30. My mom got married when she was, you know, 27, 28 as well. Um, but I feel like as a society, at least we're evolving to a point where women are not getting married until later, men are not getting married till much later. And there's more time to kind of have, you know, let yourself develop more fully as an individual before you become part of a couple. Exactly. Or like even having, allowing for that time of reflection. Like, right. I think it's really impressive that you're allowing yourself to cocoon. 
<laughs> because so many people are really afraid of being alone sometimes, you know? Yeah. And sometimes because we're afraid, we move so quickly into the next relationship when we may not be ready. Right. I just moved to a new house and I moved from an apartment to a house kind of in the country. You know, it's, it's five minutes away from the city, but it feels way more country. And before I moved, I had a moment of panic because I was coming from an apartment where I was surrounded by all these other people really all the time. So I was alone, but I had neighbors above and below and next to me. And and I was moving to the country where I'm really alone. Yeah, you can't hear any sounds. I, no, I mean, coyotes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think I called my my aunt and I said, maybe I'm a city mouse and I'm not a country mouse. Like, maybe I can't live in the country. Maybe this is a big mistake. Like, maybe I should call the apartment and see if they'll let me stay. But in the first night being completely alone without my children in the country, I went to sleep like and, and had to ask myself, am I scared? Like, am I nervous? Is this scary being completely alone in the middle of the country? Was it? And it, it wasn't, though. <laughs> it wasn't, actually. Like, I've, I've been sleeping fine, and I haven't been scared. There's been no weird bumps in the night. But I think that's kind of the thing, you know, having these new experiences and surviving them or learning how to thrive within them. Yeah. And even if that means moving from, you know, an apartment to a house by yourself. I think silence, like you say, could be really scary, but maybe that's what is needed so that you can grow and you can hear. Yeah. You know? Especially if you, like me, I hadn't, I don't know what I want for lunch. Like, I hadn't been listening to myself maybe ever. Even as a child, I think so often... You know, we tell our kids, eat your vegetables, or if we use that that food metaphor, or we tell kids, you have to study. You know, so often um, I was told what I should or shouldn't be doing that I don't think I ever thought about what I wanted to or didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of coming out of that as an adult, thinking about what I should or shouldn't be doing versus what I want or don't want to be doing. What was your childhood like? So I... I had a really interesting childhood. My both my parents are artists, um, like as a profession too. No, so they had day jobs as well. Um, my mom managed a store in 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 the art institute in in an art school, and then my dad um, had various jobs, but um, was was also then a sales manager for an art supply company. So art was really around us at all times. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was about seven, and my brother was just one, so mm-hmm. he was really a baby. Um, and their separation was more tumultuous. I think that's something I've tried to not recreate. You, you know, so much, mm-hmm. so much as as an adult, I've tried to learn from the mistakes of my parents, and I see sometimes I've overcorrected. Yeah, like if I look at you know, with to my, the point of oppression sometimes. Yeah, with my mm-hmm. ex, yeah, you know, going for stability, I overcorrected. Um, clear, you know, clearly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so um, my childhood was really interesting. My dad's a photographer, and we grew up in San Francisco and and Berkeley, and so we went to every single Pride Parade, every Carnival, every Cherry Blossom Festival, every single um, event in San Francisco and my dad would take photos 
every war protest. And he'd take me and my brother um, from when we were babies. So I have it's really interesting because I have pictured my whole childhood is also documented because he's a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also pictures of us like, you know, with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, like in the middle of Pride at age seven or something. <laughs> so um, I am really thankful for the kind of experiences I had as a young child. I, I joke that drag queens taught me how to do my makeup. Did they really? Because <laughs> they pretty much did. <laughs> yeah. MAC makeup and that it would cover everything, including stubble. You know, wow. you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also was a very... Um, I don't know exactly because my parents divorced when I was so little. And if you think about like nature versus nurture, how much of this was my own innate personality and how much of it was programmed into me by my parents, it was my natural or programmed tendency to then step up and become a responsible adult at seven and become the other partner for my parents who were then split up. Yeah, but isn't that kind of an impossibility to become this mature adult at seven? You yeah. know, it's just like that's that's just proning for failure. You just right. can't, you know? Right. How yeah. was it tumultuous? Um that's kind of interesting to think about. And these are all kind of things that I have tried to not recreate as um as an adult. Uh you know, my parents so much and so much about becoming a parent has re- has made me realize that you know your parents are your parents and you want them to take care of you and you want them to meet all of your needs spoken or unspoken mm-hmm. but ultimately your parents are just these completely valuable humans who are just human mm-hmm. and just functioning off of you know whatever parenting they had positive or negative um so where I might have wanted more from my parents. They just weren't able to give it through no fault of their own, but because they didn't receive it as children either. Mm -hmm. And this is something I feel like maybe just now in our society, we're really kind of examining in a way we haven't examined in the past as, as humans, as parents, examining our parenting and, and how that relates to our childhood and then how we can parent better for our own children so we don't recreate those patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you can reflect, right? And a lot of people, there's people that don't. Right, yeah. You know? I, I, maybe I feel like more people are reflecting now, but maybe it's my circle of, of yeah. friends. I think there's more possibilities now because there's more information out there, but there's also bad information too. Right, yeah. Oriana, did you feel loved growing up? That's so interesting because I think I... I think I really felt, I felt loved, but I also felt really um, in the way, mm-hmm. you know, because my parents were single parents. They had to work really hard. They sometimes worked two jobs to, you know, keep, maintain some stability. My dad moved pretty often. Um, I say usually every two years, my dad would move. My mom stayed in the same house. Um, so I, I, I say that I got kind of emotional stability from my dad and then physical stability from my mom. Mm-hmm. But but um it was it was different in each house. So my dad moved a lot and, and that wasn't very stable, but my mom stayed in the same place but wasn't very emotionally as nurturing as I needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to say kind of 
I thought it was pretty interesting how you really developed like a tight group of friends, even as like a young girl. Yeah. So I, um, whom you're still friends with now, right? My best, my best girlfriends, and uh, I, you know, reflecting on relationships and everything's a relationship. Like you and I are in a mm-hmm. relationship, and we're in a relationship with our checker at the grocery store. You know, you're in a you're in a relationship with everyone that you meet ultimately. Um, and there's these relationship theories, you know, theories of attachment, you know, stable attachment, anxious attachment, um, avoidant attachment. Um, and I think that reflecting on my relationships, I could be a anxiously attached person, which means I would, I'm, I'm kind of more nervous in relationships mm-hmm. about, you know, my feelings being reciprocated and whatnot. But because I had this close knit gr- group of girlfriends that I could always count on, um, it helped me develop stable relationships and the ability to form stable relationships because ultimately I could, if, if my parents were not able to meet my needs, my girlfriends were able to meet my needs mm-hmm. and meet me at an emotional level um, that my parents weren't able to. And would you go to their house a lot when you were young? Yeah. So it's so my best friend lived five houses down. It's so funny. And her parents were married. You know, her parents are still married. Um, in their in their mid seventies, they're kind of the the picture of what we all aspired to have. Um, so I think, uh, in a lot of ways, I tried to learn from, or I, you know, unconsciously even, I learned from my best friend's parents, and I learned from their relationships, and I learned from my best friend's relationships with her parents, and. Um, and even, you know, other of my friends who had more difficult relationships with their parents, kind of just trying to absorb that all and how it kind of taught me more stable attachment because I, I, if I didn't see it modeled in my own house, I saw it modeled in other houses. I think that's really interesting because like having difficult parents myself, you know, and going to other people's homes. I think sometimes we can't, when you're little, you really can't put like a word to what your parents are. You just know maybe some things could be off, you know? Yeah. And then you go into someone's home and I think sometimes like for myself, I would almost like over, like beautify like what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Like you see a stable household, but you don't really see like the grit that that's involved to make a stable household because you just see them in one moment in time and you have certain impressions of what, how a family's supposed to function or how like a partnership between like, you know, the parents is supposed to function. Like you don't see them when they have fights and working it out. You just see them not fighting at that moment. Right. So sometimes it's like this almost like delusional, like idea of happiness when you know, when you come from like more of a dysfunctional home, I think. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you only see the pretty. Right. When life is not always that pretty and there's a lot of work, you know? Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I think I definitely, you know, idolized my best friend's parents or maybe their relationship or their ability to maintain a relationship and the stability within her house. At the same time, because we have been friends for so long, we are kind of each other's history keepers in a mm-hmm. way. And sometimes mirrors too. Yeah. So she, so I 
you know, she knows my first boyfriend. I know her first boyfriend. We remember, you know, we remember when she broke her arm or we maintain that history for each other. So um, if I'm having a moment of questioning, like I'm having a really tough time with my mom right now, is this me? Is this me? Mm -hmm. Am I the problem? I can reflect to my best friend and she'd be like, no, this is not you. Remember when you were 12 and X, Y, Z happened, this is a pattern, you know, so they can kind of help my, my best friends help me hold my own history, even when I'm trying to rewrite it, you know, and, and I think we try to all do that for each other, the good and the bad. Yeah. And I think with like growing and growth, you can actually see the truth better, you know? Like the immediate question could be, is it me? And before we would tell ourselves, it is me. It's like, completely you know, me. This relationship, oh, that's all my fault. Right. But now you can say, maybe it's not me. Right. You know, when you feel a little bit better with who you are. And I think when you feel better about who you are, we also control how how much we hurt ourselves and how someone else hurts us. Completely. I think... Yeah, kind of for better or for worse, because maybe if you feel, as you start to realize that you're not in control or start to accept that you're not in control of a, of a relationship, that it is two people and it's not necessarily all my fault or all my responsibility, it is the other person as well, you know, that that definitely changes dynamics in a relationship yeah. too. That seems so overwhelming for me. Like for you as a seven-year-old, you felt like you need to be in the adult or that you had to be in charge that's just so awful yeah maybe and maybe not like what a burden to carry yeah and and you know like did did my parents ask me to carry that burden I don't know Mm -hmm. they might not have like it might have just been something I took I took on myself um because I saw there was a void and maybe I stepped into it and that's that kind of nature versus nurture question did they did they ask me to do that or was that was or was that a responsibility I took on by myself? And I think that's the thing about divorce, you know, like my parents were under the understanding that divorce only affected them. Right. But it affected all of us. Right. It affected my brother, even like not the divorce, even the process to get to the divorce. Right. Seeing their relationship, that affected me, you know, or in turn, how they treated us, right? Like, there was a process before that divorce, and the divorce was final, but, you know? Yeah. And it affects all of us. Right. And that, I mean, that's something my ex and I definitely thought about was, you know, staying together, the idea of staying together for the kids. Well, if we stay together and we're miserable. Yeah. It's not that the kids won't see that. God, that's so awful, you know? That's what my parents did. They stayed together up to a certain point until we were, like, 20 for us. Yeah. When, you know, the last 10 years was just such bad learning. And and I I feel like that's still, you know, there's all this divorce guilt, right? Like, I've completely failed. But that's the constant question. Like, do you stay in the marriage you know, grit your teeth and bear it and just be miserable for 10 years because that's better for the kids? Or is it better for the kids to see you apart but happy? And growing, you know, like 
I don't know about you, but like there were some really awful fights that we witnessed, yeah. you know, and they yeah. were violent. Like, yeah, we and yeah. then the non-speaking when they were staying together for us. Yeah. Or the awkwardness. Like, I just stopped inviting my parents to school functions. Yeah. You know, they came to my graduation, but I just gave them a pickup time and a drop-off time, and that was it. Like, yeah, there was nothing close to what a family should actually do. Like, actually want to be there, you know? Yeah. It's so interesting because, you know, moving towards this divorce, eventually I'll have to figure out, like, who gets the holidays and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff kind of starts to break my heart but like your like your parents even though they weren't getting along they were vaguely coexisting near each other maybe and so like that that's the question you know up until now yeah. we've done christmas together we've done birthdays together we've done thanksgiving together and as my ex and i start to grow more as individuals and less as a unit you know eventually will we have to start doing those things separately? I, mm-hmm. I like to think no. I, I like to think that my ex will meet some amazing woman and we can all have Christmas together. But is that reality? I don't know yet. Yeah. But you know, the difference is I think like you both want to spend time with them because you love them, right? you know, and, and there's moments of opportunities for love right, to be shared, right? And Maybe they're not going to always spend the holidays with you. And I can understand how difficult that is. But the fact that you want to. <laughs> of course. Freaking A. Like, yeah, oh my course. gosh. Like, yeah. I can't. The fact that you want to share these opportunities. Like instead of maybe being together and so unhappy and not even noticing those holidays are happening. Right. You know, not even being fully in the moment. Yes. Yeah, it's it's so fleeting. I mean, your kids are only small for such a short period of time. Yeah. And that magic only lasts for such a short period of time. I don't want to miss any of it. Even if that means some, you know, uncomfortable feelings between my ex and I, I'd rather have those uncomfortable feelings and still experience the things with the kids, you know, have uncomfortable feelings between us, but still, you know, have the kids' birthday parties together. I don't want to miss a birthday party because I'm having weird feelings. And maybe that's what the changes in, the, in your life have allowed for, you know, for you to see it more. Yeah. See more clearly. Yeah. Kind of have perspective on what's really important. I don't know. Yeah. Or what how, is to, really- how to have like how to function in relationships. Or with yourself, right? Yeah. Did you feel like you went through like a grieving process after the divorce? I feel like I'm still in that grieving process. It's so funny. It's going to make me cry. I mean, yesterday I was talking to my ex on the phone and we were crying. I was crying about the divorce. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still, it's like a, it's like, you know, it's, it's definitely an ongoing thing. And I think that's the thing about grief is that it's so not linear. I think, and it, I, I saw once this picture of grief, it's, it's a box and that initially grief is this giant ball, a giant red ball inside this black box, and it takes up the entire box. And then eventually your grief starts to shrink so that it's a little tennis ball that bounces around in this, mm-hmm. in this black box. Your grief never goes away. It's always there, but it just might hit the side of the box different times and you'll feel it different times. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll probably always grieve that this 
thing that I tried to do didn't work, mm-hmm. you know, that ultimately I'm really happy that at least we tried and I'll always have that grief, but maybe it'll grow smaller. Um, it won't go away. It'll grow smaller, and but it will hit at random times. But it, like you say, it never goes away. It never goes know? away. Yeah. But you almost learn how to deal with it better. Yeah. But instead of like being like, like that big red ball being stuck and not being able to move. Right now, I can move around to feel a slight impact. You know, you still feel it. But. Yeah. Yeah, and I think kind of honoring that, you know, that's a part of life holding these little pockets of grief, mm-hmm. you know, throughout our daily life and still growing and still, you know, using, using that learning to grow from, you know, you can grow from grief as well and still hold it. Were you really hard on yourself when you just, when you guys decided to end your marriage? I think that, it took me a long time to get to let go of the idea of the marriage working. Um, so that was a years long process before we, you know, before I moved out. Um, I think once I made the decision to move out, it was kind of like that release valve, like the Mm -hmm. pressure had been building up for years and years and years. And then I finally, you know, ripped the Band-Aid off and moved out. And I don't, um, I wasn't hard on myself because I had been beating myself up for Mm -hmm. the past five years or whatever. Yeah, I think so much, you know, you know, when we think about these kind of negative relationships we have and, and how much of that negative relationship is what I had with myself. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, forcing myself to be in these really negative relationships. If, if anything, you know, like I was, I, yeah, I was the hardest on myself while I was in the relationship, just trying to make it work. And it's, I love this idea about talking to yourself. Like you would talk to a best friend, Mm -hmm. like, would I have let my best friend go through that? No, no. I would have, you know, told her to be so much kinder to herself. But with my own self, I'm so much I'm so much meaner to myself than I would ever be to be anyone else. I think that's a secret truth that many of us have. Oh my gosh. That and we're like total assholes to ourselves. Why? Yeah. And why do we do that? And we force ourselves to be, you know, I'm really a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And so I have forced myself to be in these relationships that are totally one-sided where I'm trying to please people that cannot be pleased. And why do I continue to beat myself up like that? I, I don't know, you know, and, and would I ever let a girlfriend do that? No, mm-hmm. I would tell her to stop. Because what has allowed for a reflection for you? Like what's helped you with that? Maybe just getting some perspective, getting some distance, mm-hmm. kind of continuing to learn and study like, you know, reading and podcasts. And there's so much, there's such like a wealth of knowledge out there now that we can kind of tap into that wasn't around even when I was first married. Yeah. When you decide to make the change, you know, like in the beginning, change always is, even though it's difficult, there's a slight moment where it's kind of like exciting. And then you get into the change and there's like a difficult period. Did you, did you feel that? I think 
Yeah, initially it's exciting. You know, initially when I moved out, um, it it was kind of more of a trial separation mm-hmm. that we would see what happened. Um, and then just over the year, it got more permanent. So I think there was that initial rush of the burden, some of the burden being lifted, mm-hmm. <laughs> taking off some of the backpack that I'd been carrying of the burden of our relationship. Um, so I think initially maybe there was a rush, but it's it's so, you know, it's so non-linear, you know, so so it it comes and it goes, the the pluses and minuses, the the grief and the joy is also intermixed. Yeah. Constantly, right? Constantly on a daily basis. <laughs> changing. <laughs> yeah. What do you wish for Oriana in your future? I know. Uh, it's so interesting. I'm so not used to thinking about myself. I don't know, you know, like how do you want to feel goals? I, I think like it's been a really interesting process to kind of prioritize my own feelings and wants and desires, um, which is not without guilt. You know, I definitely want to prioritize my kids as, you know, before myself. Um, what do I want? It's something I never really thought about. And ultimately I had everything I wanted. I had the husband, I had the two kids, I had the house, I had the dog, but it wasn't all I imagined it would be. And I had to kind of walk away from that to kind of figure out what I ultimately want. I think so. It's kind of a constantly evolving process to kind of define what we what I want as a human and as an individual, you know, without this kind of relationship. I think, you know, I just, I'm so happy now, even though that feels guilty to like, I feel guilty saying that, that I'm have moments of just pure happiness. Um, and I want to just keep kind of growing and being happy and really setting a good example for my kids for what it means to be an individual and then how you can have healthy relationships once you're kind of secure in your own happiness. Yeah, I think that's a better example to show our children, like what it means to make decisions to come from happiness, right? Right, Or even like honoring thyself. Right. And your kids see you and, you know, they see your hus- your ex-husband, you know, but what it could look like to choose our happiness yeah. and to continue to grow. I think that's an amazing lesson you're giving them, even though it, it, there was a really painful period. Yeah. And there's still, con- you know, the kids, you know, there still continues to be pain. Yeah. And I think kind of allowing that, um, and listening to myself and listening to them, to my kids. Yeah. And trying to keep kind of growing from that. I, I think, I mean, so much, um, there's so much room for all the range of emotions. Like you don't just have to be happy, but allowing the kids to feel sad and allowing them to grieve with me, you know, and um, giving space for all of that and not just needing to kind of push it aside to be to be okay, but you can be okay and be sad. Yeah. You know, how beautiful. 
Because I really feel like you're really giving them the lesson of what it's like to be in a relationship with yourself. Like, literally. I'm trying. Wow, like, how many of us deny ourselves or how many of us, like, live stuck? Yeah. You know, like, to, like, show that lesson because you're going through it and you're being honest about it. Right. I mean, I hope, you know, I, I had hoped to learn from my own childhood and not repeat the same patterns. You know, it's all about breaking patterns. And to a certain extent, I have repeated some of the same mistakes my parents made, um, but I kind of hope for my kids that then they can take another st- another step forward, you know, generational step and not repeating these same broken patterns that we've been repeating for, you know, generations. And sometimes it really is like a period of trial and error, you know? Yeah. I think just because we make one mistake doesn't mean like, oh, that's an end all. Right. But to see it, to reflect on it. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of life. There's a constant, you know, waxing and waning. Yeah. Right. And it didn't end for a reason, you know, like life. (laughs) Right. And I think what we do with that when our life is still there. And I think, and and I think really honoring the painful parts of life. Yeah. Because so much about me, you know, in the past was moving past the pain as quickly as possible trying to get through the pain as quickly as possible and maybe not honoring or learning from that pain. So if you mm-hmm. can, you know, I'd much rather be happy, of yeah. course, but I think there's so much to be learned from the painful bits of life and to honor those painful bits and and use them to grow from as well as the happy parts, you know? Totally. Yeah. You know, as a doctor... <laughs> Sometimes it's like easier for me to understand things in terms of numbers, even though you can't really give everything like a number. Right. So on a happiness scale, let's say from zero to 10, okay, and like five is medium and 10's extremely happy. Where are you on the happy scale right now if there is such a thing? And where were you, let's say, in your marriage? I mean, I had happy times in my marriage. I was Overall, really you know, lucky. Like the yeah. average, average. I think, yeah. So I think, and it's so interesting because I feel guilty being happy, right? Like how, why do I feel guilty being happy? Why is that programmed into me that I shouldn't be happy? Maybe there's an element where you're still denying yourself, yeah. you know, right? It's like if it was programmed in, it's going to take a process to unprogram that right yeah that it's okay to prioritize myself it's okay to be happy and that doesn't necessarily have to be at the expense of everyone else Mm -hmm. that I can be happy and lift up people around me yes because this is the truth about life like you were born for a reason yeah I was born for a reason and there is like shit in our own lives we're supposed to work out for a reason. Right. You know, like nothing is in vain. Even our unhappiness, there's a reason for it, right? Right. That's it, how I see it, but. Completely, yeah, and a, and a way to grow from it. So truthfully speaking, how I would know. you answer that last question? <laughs> I think that um, I've been really lucky. And generally, I'm a very optimistic person. I think that, you know, in my marriage, it was probably a five on the happiness scale, mm-hmm. which is not really not bad overall. Were there points where I was at a one completely? Like I had moments of complete despair. Yes. 
but as humans, I think that's mm-hmm. something that we experience. And now I'm probably closer to a seven or an eight, really. Wow. As guilty as I feel admitting that, which I think is interesting to listen to my own, like why, I'll, I'll think about that later. Like why mm-hmm. do I feel so guilty being happy? That's something to think about. Maybe it's even like the process of freeing yourself is a bunch of, mo- of emotions, you know? Right. Like it's happy and it's sad. It's it's guilty and parts of it are non-guilty, but it's just such a mixed bag of emotions. The range. Yes. Yeah. And I think ultimately my ex is happier. Mm-hmm. And ultimately my kids will be happier and probably are happier because we're not just all kind of mired in what we should be doing but we're more thinking about what we actually want to be doing and and i'm doing that and my ex is doing that and Mm -hmm. you know maybe we can kind of model that for the kids but as a friend i really do see yourself you loving yourself more trying (laughs) and i really respect that and you know how you've always been so honest with your feelings i mean that's it's it's kind of funny i joke about that being kind of my downfall that i have no poker face I cannot hide how I'm feeling. I think about like your parents, them them staying together, and I I went. I'm not good at hiding things. Yeah, and that you fucked know. me up more. You know, they're yeah, staying together. Yeah, yeah. but I, I would <laughs> wouldn't be able to maintain my face if you yeah, know I well, tried to stay together. I mean, my mother never went out. You know, yeah, she was so depressed. Yeah, she never even went out, like except to drop me off at school. I mean, are you, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, that, my father went to work and he worked so much that we never saw him. So we could never really see their real faces. Like, actually, I, I did see my mother's real face, but like, she never went out publicly. Yeah. They never had, she didn't have friends, you know, it was like that level, you know? Oh, yeah. And that's what you see. I think, and there's still people, you know, every Everyone has to make that decision for themselves to stay together for the kids mm-hmm. and maybe be miserable and never leave the house. Yeah, it's and our maybe, choices, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. But what if we have more control over our choices than we think? What if more is possible, you know, than not? You right. Know? It, you know, I've been thinking about, like, having more control over my own life, but then letting go of mm-hmm. whatever you know, influence, control, positive or negative, I had, you know, on my ex or with his family, um, you know, that kind of people-pleasing tendency is also control. So I want to make him happy, but that's also that the flip side, you know, we talk about the flip side of being stable is also being stubborn. So the flip side of people-pleasing is also kind of manipulation, <laughs> right? That everything has a has a flip. Like, I want you to be happy with me. So I will do X, Y, Z to make you happy. But that's mm. kind of manipulative. Or, yeah, you know how, like, when someone gets married or on their birthday, we wish something for someone? Yeah. What do you wish for Oriana in her future? Yeah. Just kind of this, like, radical honesty and, like, willingness to keep growing and learning and the ability to keep growing and learning and not be stuck or mired in what you should, but what I want. Yeah. So just to keep growing and keep being happy and having new experiences and being open and being able to be open to everything that life has to offer. I love that. 
Yeah. Because this is what I think, you know, maybe it's important that we keep on swimming. Right. You know, not to feel like complacent. Right. But to feel like we're swimming in this, knowing, you know, in a certain direction, even though we don't know where exactly that's going. And not in your own little fishbowl where you circle the same castle every 10 minutes, but in different oceans where you see like the Great Barrier Reef and you also see sharks, (laughs) you know. You're thinking bigger scale. That's good. Yeah. But yeah, just to keep kind of going and growing at the same time, which can be uncomfortable. Yeah. And scary. And scary. But maybe it could be like hella awesome. Yeah. Hopefully, ultimately, right? That's the ultimate goal to be hella awesome. Well, thank you so much for your honesty, Oriana. I'm so thankful you were able to speak with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) See you next time on another edition of Lost or Found. Follow Dr. Michelle Choi on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. For more information, visit our website, drlostorfound.com.